Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Jackie Embry. I'm a newly retired United Reformed Church minister. I have worked with churches across Birmingham and Bolton and Salford, and as moderator of the United Reformed Church's Mersey Synod. I'm now living in Kendal on the edge of the Lake District. Each week I'm joined by a different guest, and today I'm very pleased to introduce the Reverend John Howard. John has been a Methodist minister for over 40 years, working in areas of social deprivation before becoming chair of the Wolverhampton and Shrewsbury District. His last appointment was as a mission partner in Israel-Palestine, where he has also served twice as a human rights observer. And he chaired the Methodist Church's Investment Committee from 2008 to 2016. So welcome, John. Thank and you. Thanks, thanks very much for coming on the podcast this week. I'd like to start by asking you, do politics in the pulpit mix? I think it would be surprising, given the title of, uh, of this podcast, uh, if I were to immediately say no. Um, <laughs> yes, of course they do. Uh, but I think there are questions about how they mix. Um, I have always felt that um, preaching is not um, a, a method of um, spreading a support for a particular party. Politics in the pulpit are about the issues, not about um, the parties or indeed the personalities. So I feel confident about being political in the uh, pulpit, uh, but not party political. Uh, yeah. And I think that distinction is one that, that uh, is important. Um, so while I might indicate support for particular policies um, and particular strategies, um, it won't be allied with particular parties or uh, particular individuals who hold uh, office. Yeah. And some of the headlines that, that reflect our context today are that Saturday marked the two years since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in the last two years. And of course, the war continues. The House of Commons vote on the ceasefire in Gaza was cancelled due to different motions and general chaos in Parliament last week. The SNP are planning to push for another vote this week. But the violence continues and the famine worsens. There's speculation over the next budget in the UK, suggesting that public services will be in crisis after possible spending cuts. Islamophobic comments from a Conservative MP, Lee Anderson, have led to him being suspended from the party. The UK and US launched missile strikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen, part of an ongoing and increasing crisis across the Middle East. There is good news, though. The UK has withdrawn from an energy charter, which allows fossil fuel companies to stop governments punishing them for climate action. Church-wise, this coming Sunday the 3rd is the third Sunday in Lent. It is Rare Disease Day on the 29th of February, World Day of Prayer on the 1st of March, World Wildlife Day on the 3rd of March, and International Women's Day on the 8th of March. And the lectionary readings for Sunday the 3rd of March are Exodus 20, 1 to 17, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, John 2, 13 to 22, and Psalm 19. So, John, where would you start this week? 
Well, I think I want to begin, in a sense, by saying um, the context of preaching, because um, I, I feel strongly that, that the relationship between the person who's preaching and the um, congregation uh, affects the nature of the preaching and how you handle the issues uh, of the day. Um, when I'm preaching in churches that know me well, they know that I've lived in Palestine. Um, they know something of my concerns for the environment. Um, and therefore, my approach to um, the politics um, uh, and indeed to the electionary readings themselves will be different than if I'm preaching somewhere um, where they don't know me. Um, I, I think there is an important relationship between uh, the congregation and the preacher that affects the nature of how you approach um, preaching and particularly how you approach uh, contemporary issues uh, in our preaching, uh, including those that are of a political nature. So when I then come to these particular um, lectionary readings that are coming up, I have to say the one that strikes me that I would really want to focus most on is the 1 Corinthians reading, um, uh, where it talks about the wisdom of the world. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's wisdom Oh, sorry, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Um, I, I, I want to pick that one up um, as the kind of heart of, um, uh, of, of um, the, the biblical background, um, remembering that the Ten Commandments uh, are the uh, Old Testament lesson. And um, the New Testament lesson tells the story of the cleansing uh, of the temple. So what we have is um, this interesting idea about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, the foolishness, God's foolishness and how it relates to human wisdom. And um, um, the, the Ten Commandments and the, around that, that in its day, a day of eye of the eye and tooth for a tooth, was itself quite radical. Um, and then the actions of Jesus that clearly confronts the authorities um, in the way that um, uh, he did, uh, remembering the nature of, of what he was doing and where he was doing it. Um, the cleansing of the temple, I always like to remind people, was um, the court of the Gentiles, which is where this trading was going on. And so what Jesus was doing was enable ordinary people to be able to engage uh, in um, their relationship with God. Um, and it, it was it was radical from the point of view that, that he was enabling um, the Gentiles, the wider community, not just um, the, 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 the spiritual elite, if you like. Um, um, now, if, if if we see those the Ten Commandments and uh, the cleansing of the temple um, as being in in the background, let's look a bit more about the wisdom of the world. And I I want to then start looking particularly at 
the issue that that engages me so deeply, and that's the whole situation in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, it seems bizarre that in the 21st century, we seem to have going on in um, our international politics, something which is hardly more um, ethical than the politics of the playground. And what I mean by that is that um, we have a terrible act of violence on the 7th of October. It's interesting that Biden suggested that Israel shouldn't then overreact, uh, but should be measured in its response. The last thing you could describe Israel has been doing as being anything which has been measured. The, but what we see is a huge response of a military nature. Um, when we have ships attacked by the Houthi rebels, what do we have? We have the response of um, bigger missiles sent back. When the Houthis respond and kill three American soldiers, what do we get? we get 60 um, people in Yemen um, killed by missile strikes. Um, is not this the wisdom of the world, that, that we can cure everything by military response? Uh, we're going to respond um, to uh, violence to us by being even more violent to the next people. And all of my experience in the Middle East tells me that actually what you do is you recruit more and more people to the way of violence uh, and uh, you defeat the very object that you say you are trying to achieve in the first place. You don't actually defeat an organization like Hamas by, um, by um, a military means. Um, what you do is you address the injustices that exist. Um, and it, this passage that Paul is speaking seems to me to address this kind of issue. What is the wisdom of the world? Well, it, it seems to be that those with might and power can um, behave in such a way as to get their revenge. Um, whereas um, God's foolishness is to actually work with individuals, care for individuals, to say that the, the, the individual people in the Yemen who were killed in that uh, attack, revenge for three American soldiers, were in God's sight just as important, just as valued, uh, having just as much right to life as any Americans or any British, any Israelis or any Palestinians. Uh, and that God's foolishness is saying you don't actually create peace by means of using huge amounts of military force and the latest modern technology. Peace is achieved in a very different way. God's weakness is God's love for every individual. God's weakness is that determination to find life in all its fullness for all of God's children. 
And isn't that, in reality, an awful lot stronger than human strength that seems to be defined by how many missiles you can fire uh, and how much um, uh, munition you have behind you? Um, to me, because of having lived in um, uh, in Bethlehem and having worked considerable amount of time within um, Israel-Palestine, this strikes me particularly in relation to that con uh, that conflict. But it could equally well apply, or it does equally well apply, to the situation in Ukraine. Um, now, there, I think... I personally do feel for the Ukrainians that, that in many ways are the innocent victims in this. Though you have to say that some of the dealings with Russia after the fall of the USSR were perhaps not as wise in hindsight as we might um, uh, have thought. And therefore, again, perhaps uh, we ought to say that there was an element of um, God's foolishness would have been to have addressed those situations in the past in the different ways that we have. Um, it's easy to be um, wise in retrospect, but perhaps it's what we ought to be learning and applying in our international politics today. Um, I've uh, perhaps uh, been talking rather longer um, than I was intending to, but I feel strongly uh, about these things. It would be good if a lot of people, and particularly those with power, heard that. Um, as you were talking, it, it struck me, is part of God's foolishness the willingness to forgive and start with a clean sheet, so to speak? Because a lot of these issues seem to have, I mean, particularly Israel-Palestine, there's there's a lot of history. Um, and if something's going to, to happen positively, do we need to get beyond the history and actually say, let's look from today and, and not throw stones, accusations or whatever about the past? but look at, at, at fairness and, and justice for today. I, I'm not sure I like the idea of a, of a clean sheet because I think we have to learn from the past. Uh, and um, the, the difficulty, uh, when, when you're talking with Palestinians and Israelis, um, the history, is very much a part of them. And to actually say, well, no, um, we've got to start with a clean sheet from now on, is, is not realistic. Um, but what does happen, and in preaching one of the stories that I might well tell over this, would be the story of Musalaha, which is a, um, an initiative by Palestinian Christian originally, although it's grown from that, which brings Israelis and Palestinians together. It takes them out into the desert for a desert experience and engages uh, uh, the, two, the um, Israelis and Palestinians together, young people predominantly. Um, they work with women as well. 
Um, but part of what they seek to do is help the um, Israelis to see the history through Palestinian eyes and help the Palestinians to see the history through Israeli eyes. So it's not a blank sheet, but it is um, not simply accepting um, the way in which the history has been told uh, and cast for e uh, each other. Uh, so um, that type of approach that builds bridges, that brings people together, rather than building walls and keeping people further and, and further apart, uh, is to me the way in which we deal with history and then learn um, that um, actually within history, just to take again the example of Israel-Palestine, there are um, many, many um, positive stories about um, uh, living together and, and, and being better and stronger together rather than divided and um, each other, at each other's throats. Uh, so, um, but again, there is an element of foolishness. It, it, it feels so much in modern society feels as if the right way to respond is get back in there and you know sort it out and make sure that the the other side knows exactly how you feel when actually god's wisdom is a lot more about well how do they feel rather than how do i feel so that there's an awful lot in that and there's an awful lot that actually standing in the UK today, one could learn from putting oneself in, in other people's shoes or speaking to others and listening to others. Um, and perhaps some of that, um, we could go back to the Ten Commandments and, and particularly um, in today's world where advertising is, is sometimes trying to teach us to covet um, everything other people have got. We could go back to don't don't covet what others have got and, and actually appreciate them. Um, yes, I, I'm, I'm uh, I mean, the, t the Ten Commandments, um, Placed in its context of, uh, of when it came from, uh, um, was surely a, a radical document uh, in, in challenging people to respond in a totally different way to the way that people expected them to do. And the whole question of law and grace becomes so important. Um, I try to ask people to look um, beyond their local situation. But that's not to say that these things don't apply in the local situation. Of course, they do as well. Um, but I would then ask the questions of how have we developed law since the time of the Ten Commandments? And there, of course, there's um, lots of development that's going uh, goes on, including how we uh, what our attitude is to um, um, uh, the twenty mile hour speed limit in Wales now, um, where um, uh, people take 
quite a uh, sort of Welsh people that I've spoken to about this, um, quite an um, angry attitude to the idea that you should only be allowed to go 20 miles an hour. But it, 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 it picks up the question of how we relate to law. And, in, in, and one of the issues for me then would be also to ask the question about international law, which yeah. um, was really such a one of the major positive outcomes from the Second World War was the understanding that there should be um, governance upon international relations in terms of what is um, possible or what's not. And the way in which in the last 10 years, international law has been um, broken, been almost dismissed by um, by different countries, um, lip service occasionally is paid to it. But, um, I mean, it horrifies me the number of times we hear quite uh, quite simply on the radio that a drone strike has been um, uh, uh, carried out, uh, which killed the leader of dot, 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 organisation. Um, there's, there's no um, legal process to this. Um, uh, nine times out of ten, we find that it's not just the person who... Um, was the target that gets killed. You get other people killed as well. But um, without any kind of judicial process, um, where is the observance of any kind of international law? Uh, and when once you start breaking international law, it becomes easier to break it again until you get to a stage of what's happening in, in Gaza, which would seem to me to be a total disregard of international law. Um, now, the Genocide Convention, of course, uh, says that there comes a point at which nations must respond um, when certain actions take place. Um, and the debate clearly is uh, taking place about whether that is where we are now. But um, the Ten Commandments picks up the idea of law, and it would then lead, in my thinking, both to how what our personal attitudes are to law within our own country, but more especially to the whole attitudes towards international law, um, which is, a, to me, a tragedy of the last 10 years. Indeed. I mean, as you say, that there are conventions about how you treat people um, under all sorts of conditions, including war conditions, mm. um, which mm. are do not appear at all to be applied in, in the situation in Gaza. No. No, that's right. Hmm. And and our country and other countries are not saying anything about that. They may be urging restraint. They may be urging the possibility of, of ceasefires to some extent. Um, but there's, I haven't seen anything anyway, suggesting that international law is being broken. Well, I mean, there are people saying that it, it is being broken, and and of course the um, ICJ um, raises all sorts of issues around around that. Um, but another area which I think, I mean, there's always the question when you're preaching, of course, how much you put in, because um, uh, you know clearly you've got limited time and 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 you have to select. But another area where I think we could take the idea of God's foolishness 
uh, is wiser than human wisdom um, is some of the heroes of Gaza because, um, I mean, I've been to Gaza quite a number of times and um, I know some of the doctors in some of the hospitals and some of the doctors and nurses who have continued working in the hospitals while they've been bombed, while they've been shot at, while they've not had, not had electricity, they've, uh, and yet they're still there um, working with the individual people who have been injured. Um, I mean, when the story gets told of exactly what's been happening in Gaza, and of course it's very difficult at present to, to hear, um, the story of the uh, heroic nature of the doctors and nurses in the Gazan hospitals, I think is one that will need to be told. And again, is that not God's foolishness that there we have people willing to give up their lives in order to care for those who are injured? Um, uh, is there not a real sacrificial quality in the um, willingness of the, that hosp those hospital staff, doctors, nurses, and all the other people who work to keep a hospital going um, against the human wisdom, which is, uh, well, if there might possibly be some terrorists in there, so therefore we've got to go in and we've got to, um, we've got to get them and in whatever way we can. Uh, again, God's wisdom, I hope when history is told, it will be God's wisdom that's with those doctors and nurses in their incredible bravery in Gaza. Uh, and that's another aspect of, of looking at these contrasting things that Paul um, uh, brings into this 1 Corinthians 1 passage. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, the work that's being done, it would be difficult enough under yes. good conditions. Mm. Um, and and clearly, yeah, it's not. I mean, the the other person that that strikes me in in that kind of vein is is Navalny, and going back into Russia, um, yes, feels like foolishness in in many worldly respects. A bit like Bonhoeffer before um, in the yeah. uh, before the Second World War. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, and yet, you do wonder whether, when history is told, it will be, who will be the person that had a vision for the future? Um, you know, and which wisdom will it be? Putin's wisdom that is um, seen to have ultimately triumphed. I doubt, I believe that in the end, it's not militarism, it's not might that is right, and that this passage from 1 Corinthians is part of, of what convinces me that there are um, more powerful, um, what's the right word to use, more powerful processes at work in the world than those that simply resort to military violence um, in order to uh, in order to respond to particular issues. Um, and um, uh, one of my themes I often go back to 
in my preaching is the experiences I've had in Israel Palestine and some of the wonderful individuals who, in the most desperate of situations, uh, continue to behave with Christian love and dignity. Uh, and that's part of what we see taking place uh, in Gaza uh, again. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And one of the things that, that sort of, when you say that comes to mind, is the um, East Germans um, before the the, um, the war came down, saying that, um, about Leipzig, that they they had they had guns they could have they knew what to do about tanks they didn't know what to do about candles <laughs> yes yes and i think perhaps god's wisdom is candles john is there anything that you want to add um to to what you've said uh before we finish um, perhaps the only additional thing I would add is, is to look at the psalm. The psalm is one of the great um, passages that we, you can link with the whole environmental situation. Uh, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Um, uh, I've often felt that um, it's good to have a theme in a service, but you don't necessarily only run with one. And so, particularly if you know a congregation well, you can often pick up something else, and that might offer to the congregation um, a breadth that, um, that that might be helpful. So, while focusing on the kind of thing we've been talking about up till now is the main focus, I might well still use the psalm just to remind people that you know, that we're not single-issue individuals. Our politics is not that there's one cause and everybody else is really uh, not very wise if they don't pick up the particular cause that we're talking about. But actually, there's a breadth in our Christian faith uh, uh, which addresses a range of important world issues. So the psalm I would pick up um, uh, as a as kind of a secondary theme, if you like, yeah. in this particular yeah. service, though I might have picked up the environment as being a major theme in another service. Yeah, and and it's got a, a little kick in the tail, that psalm, when it talks about hidden faults. Mm. And you just think, ah, yes, what is God seeing that we are not? Mm. Yes, I'm quite right. Oh. John, thank you very much indeed. Um, it, it has been really good to, to talk with you. Um, and thank thank you everyone for joining us to ask whether or how we should preach politics in the pulpit this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on X or Twitter and at public issues or using hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team's Facebook page and the website jpit.uk, that's j-p-i-t dot u-k. So let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a prayer based on the United Reformed Church's Worship Notes for Sunday, written by Andy Bromston. May the one whose wisdom danced at the first light of day, the one who overturned religion, the one who is found in unexpected places with unexpected people, 
give us the grace to dance with the wise, to overturn the powers that subvert the kingdom, and to find grace in unlikely places. In the blessing of God, eternal majesty, embodied word, everlasting fire, be with us all now and always. Amen. Amen.